Good morning. My name is Lydia Choi, and I am the associate pastor here at Bethany North. If this is your first time worshiping with us today, we have journeyed through the book of Job in the past few weeks. And today we're going to learn of God's wisdom in our suffering. The book of Job begins with a narrator describing Job as a man who is blameless, upright, and fears God and shuns evil. One day, the angel come to present themselves before God, and Satan also comes with them. Satan says to God, does Job fear God for nothing? Job is only righteous because you reward him. Let him suffer, strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan thought that faith and prosperity was, were correlated, and if prosperity is removed, faith would disintegrate. So God said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then the next scene shares that Job has lost all his possessions, his children are dead, and he suffers with painful sores from the sole of his feet to his head. Why did God do that? Why does God allow people to suffer? Before I go um, any further, let us begin with prayer. Let us pray. Jesus, um, we ask you, Lord, to just fill this place with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak will be not of mine, but it will be yours, and that you will open the hearts of the people that are listening to your word, that they will hear you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have a friend named John who went through a difficult time. He ate very healthy, exercised every day, and had a very disciplined lifestyle. But last year, he had a heart attack called the Widowmaker. Terrible name, but that's how terrible this type of heart attack is. And he is the last person you would think that would get a heart attack. And I remember getting a phone call from a friend about the heart attack. I sat down and prayed and cried for John. John was going into an emergency surgery. And after praying for him, I paused. And my heart was just breaking for this family. You see, Sarah, his wife, was also having contractions the same day that he got his heart attack to give birth to their third child. Why, God? Why? I found myself trying to understand this situation and suffering. If you have been reading along the book of Job with us, you will learn that the book doesn't answer why God allows suffering. And the longer I sat with this book, the less I began to ask why. Because my curiosity shifted to the mystery of God in the midst of our suffering. I also found that there is a correlation between human suffering and wisdom. So the question I come with today is, what is wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? I think we have been trained to think logically, and we have come to believe human wisdom understanding, knowledge is formulaic. 
We want everything to make sense. But wisdom shared by God is not a formula. It's not X, Y, therefore Z. It's not cause and effect. And if you're an engineer or a math person, this is probably driving you crazy. But if you're an artist, this is poetic. Going back to Job, he is frustrated and unable to find the wisdom solution to the mystery behind his suffering. And in Job's frustration, God is silent. But in the middle of all of this, there's an interlude, a poem on wisdom in chapter 28. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open your Bibles to Job 28. And I'll start with verses 1 and 2. Or you can follow along on the screen as well. Here's Job 28, verse 1. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. And the poem continues. And it tells us that with skill and abilities, we're able to search the mine, the treasure of the earth. And as readers, we can ask, can we also search deep within earth and mine wisdom? Well, let's continue um, to verses 12 to 19. It asks, where, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its pride be weighted out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir or precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. So wisdom is not something that can be found on earth like treasure. Wisdom cannot even be put on a scale to compare with earth's treasures. But while other valuables can be purchased, wisdom cannot be purchased. And let's continue on to verse um, 20 to 28. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and He alone knows where it dwells. For He views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when He made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then He looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And He said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Wisdom may not be traced to the wealth produced by earth, 
Wisdom is hidden in every living thing, hidden from every living thing, and even concealed from the birds who soar above the earth. Only God, who is omniscient, knows where wisdom is. Only God knows where wisdom is. Therefore, we must look to God for wisdom. And verse 28 tells us, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And this is where Job's friends make a wrong assumption. In response to Job's suffering, Job's friends weave true statements of wisdom together. And Tim Keller, um, a pastor, explains that Job's friends have a moralistic theology. They have a view of God that is very domesticated. To Job's friends, if life goes well, it's because you're living rightly. If life does not go well, it must be your fault. And this is where Joe's friends conclude that Joe's moral life is inferior to theirs. And because Joe's suffering is greater than theirs. Zophar, one of Joe's three friends, rebukes Joe. In Job 11.4, he says, You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. Zophar claims that Job had not even scratched the surface of God's wisdom. But we, as readers, know that Job is a man of wisdom. Because in the prologue, the narrator describes him as blameless and upright, fears God and shun evil. And those are characteristics that leads to wisdom. And now Elihu, not to be mistaken as one of Job's friends, has been observing everything, a conversation between Job and his three friends that has been going on and he enters the scene. And Elihu has been waiting to speak. And as a young person, he was letting the old and the wise speak. But he changes his mind and he says, it is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand what is right. Elihu has claimed to speak from the divine inspiration, which fills him like a new wineskin about to burst. What Elihu does not admit, but the narrator mentions, is that Elihu is speaking out of his own anger. And um, let's, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 33, verses um, 31 to 33. It says, and this is what Elihu says to Job. He says, pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak up, and I want to vindicate you. But if not, then listen to me. Be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. As we continue to read Elihu's speech in chapter 32 to 37, some of his words are true, but his delivery is not there. Elihu gets angry and controlling. But in our society, we strive to be in control of every situation. Okay, moment of honesty. How many of you here are control freaks? 
we find ourselves saying, I've got everything under control. And personally, if you're familiar with Enneagrams, as an Enneagram one, I find myself saying that. So a week before my wedding, this was 18 and a half years ago, I was driving to our wedding venue with a few friends. Jamin, um, our friend, he was our videographer, was interviewing us in the car. And I clearly remember this incident. I was driving my dad's brand new BMW on Lionsgate Bridge in North Vancouver. And of course, always, a bumper-to-bumper traffic. And Jamin asked, are you ready for the wedding? Are you finished with all your planning? And I confidently replied, I have everything under control. Boom. And I rear-ended the car in front of me. I clearly did not have everything under control. Even in the most confident moment, we cannot control the split second of our lives. We need to relinquish our control our entitlement, our rights to God. And in humility, ask God. We seek your wisdom because wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, it then comes disgrace. But when humility comes, wisdom. As we listen to Job in devastation, desperation, and seeking answers, I hear humility in his speech. When we hear humility in Job's struggles, I can hear Job's humility as he laments and complains. It's ultimately, Job cannot even dare curse God and, and die as his wife recommended. In humility, Job knows the greatness of God. In Job's response to God, in humility, he responds, Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So today, I want to boldly claim that we fear nothing of this world, but that we will have the fear of the Lord, to be in awe and in reverence of the great God, the creator, whom we cannot even dare to fully understand and comprehend his ways. So I'm going to be vulnerable with you today. Today's message was a very difficult message for me to prepare. And I finally left the chair that I was glued to for many days trying to understand the book of Job. And I went to my room, sat on the floor in the corner of my room, and I came to a realization that I'm never going to fully understand the book of Job. So I prayed, Lord, what would you like me to share with her people to bring some light and hope in their suffering? And this story came to mind. Around 12 years ago, um, David and I felt that God was calling us back to Canada. So we rented out our home in California, 
packed their belongings and took a large pay cut, pay cut and moved to Canada. There was a great exodus of second generation Korean Canadians leaving the church. And there was a great lack of English-speaking Korean pastors that understood their context. So we decided to move back to Canada to be their pastors. What David and I did not realize was how expensive it was to live in Canada as a family. Financially, we were in a very difficult situation. This financial struggle is probably nothing compared to what Job went through. It definitely is nothing compared to what some of my close friends went through during the Great Recession when they lost their homes and jobs. But this is my story, and I want you to know that no matter how small your pain and suffering looks in comparison to others or Job's, it still matters. God sees you. Going back to the story, I had um, to pack girls' lunch for school. I realized that we were out of bread and ham. And I knew that we had no money in our Canadian bank account that we just opened. David wasn't going to get paid till the next day. We were in a new country, so we didn't have credit cards. I was so mad and angry and somewhat shameful. I couldn't believe that we put ourselves in such a place. So where? So I asked God, why, why God? Why did you even bring us to Canada and bring me into this situation? I looked around the house and I found a toonie, if you can see. A toonie, I know it looks like a coin. It is a coin. It's a Canadian $2 coin. I took my toonie and went to the supermarket. The girls, girls didn't like sandwich on regular bread. They liked it on Kaiser buns. And on that day, the Kaiser buns were on sale for 29 cents. So I grabbed two Kaiser buns. And then I went to the deli section. And in that deli section, there was a pack of ham for sale for 99 cents. And with tax, I had just enough money to buy lunch for the kids. God had provided two Kaiser buns and ham for our children that day. And if I learned any wisdom in suffering, it is that there is hope. Hoping, knowing that our great God is with us. His greatness I cannot fathom or even comprehend. I love Washington's winter sunsets. The complexity of the color of the sky. It reminds me of the creator of this world. And in Job, I find hope. Because at God's proper time, he comes to Job and speaks he has not abandoned the sufferer, and God has not abandoned you. Remember my friends Sarah and John in the beginning of the sermon? John had a successful surgery, 
and the nurses were able to take his bed down to Sarah's delivery room. And he was able to be with Sarah as she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. But just three days after John's surgery and the birth of their baby, I was shocked to see this family at Sunday worship at church. And the following Sunday, this family served as a greeter and welcomed people to church with big smiles on their faces. Do you know what I saw in John and Sarah? At the end of their suffering and pain, there was peace, thanksgiving, and hope. In a moment of devastation, in their suffering and pain, it's difficult to see God's wisdom in the midst. But I want to encourage you, do not draw away from God. Don't draw away from God. Continue to seek Him. Seek Him in your pain. Cry out to God. Tell God you're angry, that you are sad, that you are desperate that you feel like you're sinking. God has not abandoned you. God hears you. God heard Job. And in God's timing, he spoke. Amen. Um, let Let us pray. God, we find so much comfort in knowing that at your proper timing that you spoke to Job. And that gives us so much hope. And we thank you, God, for the hope that you give to us. And some of us here, Lord, come to you with our pain, our suffering, and desperation. Father, some of us here, are in a very tricky situation. And some of us are here just very tired. And some of us, we feel like we're just sinking and ready to give up. But I pray, Lord, that we, that you will be with us, that we will be able to wait upon you knowing that at proper, at your timing, that you will speak. Because we know, Lord, today that you have just shared the greatness that we are not able to, as humans, comprehend the greatness of God. God, you are the creator of this vast universe. And I find so much comfort in knowing that our Creator sees everything in us, loves us, and is always with us. So I pray, Lord, that You will comfort us in our suffering and in our pain. That we will continue, Lord, to seek You. That we will fear nothing of this world, but we'll have the fear of the Lord because that is the beginning of wisdom. We thank you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.